Um, the battle verse I want to share today, it's been on my heart now for a couple of weeks, is James 4, 7. And uh, the title of this message is Submit, Resist, and Free. And the verse actually reads this way. It says, uh, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I, I love the book of James. It's probably one of the most practical books uh, in the New Testament. James was, uh, almost all scholars agree, the brother of Jesus. And he also was the recognized head of the church in Jerusalem. And if you ever want to look at it, I mean, there aren't a lot of verses about church government and styles of leadership. We understand there were elders and there was all of that in the first century. But there was an issue that came up in the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and they had a rowdy discussion. There were people who were espousing one thing, people who were espousing another. There was all this thing. We have to decide how are we going to deal? What are our priorities? And at the end of a very good discussion, James is the recognized head of, of that community, he, uh, he kind of took everything that was said, and then he says, therefore, I have judged. He gave what was the, the heartbeat of what the Lord was saying through everybody, and did it in a way where everyone, that it seemed good to all. Like, hey, we've all been heard. So there are some principles in there that I really love about submitting, submitting to each other, submitting your opinion, submitting to final decisions that are made in your life. And so um, I was reading in my Spirit-Filled Life Bible, which continues to give me Spirit-Filled Life. There's a phrase that they said about uh, James and the book of James. And, uh, you know, when, when I, I'm very, very grateful that from the beginning of my walk with the Lord, uh, I just as a, a gift, I had this hunger for the Word of God. For years, I considered myself a word man. So believe it or not, extraordinary as it sounds, I like theology. For me, theology is how God has revealed himself. In his word, what he has said, what he feels, what he thinks, what his ways are, what his acts are. And I marvel at the person that theology reveals. And of course, you can have a, a love for the word of God, and it can all just be in your head, or you can also have a love for the God of the word and how he reveals himself. And so um, I, I've noticed, though, over the years when I start speaking theology, my, my dear wife, her eyes tend to glass over a little bit, like, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, we're going to go into the, the deep end of the pool. But I love theology that is practical, that is relevant, that is uh, topical that deals with issues in my life personally and deals with issues that I'm facing in my culture. So the uh, Spirit-Filled Life Bible puts it this way about the book of James and the, the tone, the theme of this book. It says, any faith that does not deal with personal and social issues is a dead faith. He speaks to those inclined to talk their way into heaven instead of walk their way into heaven and you know the verse be doers of the word you know and not just hearers only 
So uh, it just, it, it seems so practical, so relevant. I've, I've often had a desire in my heart to get a group of people together who want to understand God's word and God's ways, but then apply it in practical ways to relevant issues in each of our lives. Seems like a good time to, again, deposit this. Um, I, I read once that Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant church, was talking about uh, the gospel. And he said that if you preach the gospel in all of its aspects, sanctification, regeneration, um, all of the areas, if you preach accurately the word of God, but you exclude the issues that most affect your time, you're not preaching the gospel at all. So if you're not preaching about issues that have people in bondage, that have them in oppression, where they need to be set free, then you've missed the purpose of the gospel. It's good news to set people free, to bring healing, to bring wholeness and deliverance and the mind of Christ. Amen? And so, thank you. All right. We're, I'm feeling the juice just a little bit. So, this is good. Oh, I love relevant theology. And this, to me, submit, resist, and watch the enemy flee is very, very relevant theology. So, the thing I love about this passage, first and foremost, we're going to look at submit, we're going to look at resist, and we're going to look at flee very briefly. So, there are two aspects of submitting. When you're in a battle, um, when you're having to decide what am I to do, uh, your first heart choice needs to be, Lord, I want to submit to your will. I want to come under. I want to acknowledge your authority, your power, your truth. I want to acknowledge who you are. I want to come like you are actually the Lord and you're actually the king and I'm actually the servant and by the way I'm actually the son I'm the object of your love and so I'm coming to submit myself first and foremost to your will and your purposes and there are there's a missing message in our culture right now many people want to be their own boss you're not the boss of me and so not having the fundamental underlying fear of God in your life that when God says sin is wrong and terrible, there's a high price for sin. He wants something so much better for you to know not out of fear like you're going to whack me, but fear out of you're so good, I don't want to miss your goodness in my life in every area I want to submit to you. I've had this simple prayer for a number of years, and I don't, it hasn't gone away. It's not going to go away. I think it was spirit-breathed, and it was a personal thing for me. But there's a heart attitude where I finally pray, sometimes daily, Lord, I want what you want, whether it's what I want. You know, I want your will. I want you above even my own desires. And so... If, if you haven't had that encounter with the fear of the Lord, if you don't know what it means to submit yourself to him, it uh, makes me think of a sermon I gave a few weeks ago. Uh, it really, uh, I don't think it convicted anybody else. You do realize a lot of times I'm preaching to myself. You know, these are things God is telling me and I'm sharing them with you so I can continue to deepen them and hopefully be transformed by them. But Hebrews 11:6, I love this. Uh, in terms of submitting to God, 
that first you have to realize that he exists. You know, you've, you've got to know that he's there and you have to be mindful of him. And, and I, I love, again, I'm, I'm going to keep this very short, but I was witnessing to someone in my Uber car and I missed those Uber opportunities. And they were at times Uber opportunities. Uh, but I was telling somebody about a relationship with God and I said before there were Christians, before there were God, Israel, before there were people in, in Genesis, um, it talks about uh, the sons and daughters of Adam and in that day they began to call on the name of the Lord. Hey, mom and dad had a relationship with you. I know that you exist. I know that you're real. I know, what's in that odd, this, this I haven't really pondered on deeply enough, but isn't God interesting? If you don't think about him, he becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until you begin to doubt even if he exists. He allows us to get so distracted by our own desires, our own circumstances. If you don't think about him, if you don't call on the name of the Lord, he doesn't answer. But if you do think about him, if you do call out to him, what does Romans 11:6 say? He exists and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Why is that? He's not a dictator. He's not the bully of heaven. He is a loving father who wants children to come willingly, openly, voluntarily, childlike, going, Daddy! Right? And he has to give you the opportunity to turn your heart toward him for him to begin to reveal, I'm not here to dominate you. I'm here to bless you as you acknowledge I exist. And I, I had never connected with this before, that he's a rewarder. When you do things that are in alignment with his love, his ways, his purposes, he can bless those. He can prosper those. Those can grow and flourish. There's life that comes out of those acts of obedience that are in alignment with the ways of heaven. It's an exciting way to live. And God, it's God's glory to conceal himself instead of to constantly be badgering people. How? I don't even understand the mystery of it all. But what I do know is it starts with that relationship with him. Uh, I wrote this down. I love it. It is by grace through faith in Jesus that he has given us the greatest treasure on earth, his spirit. There's no greater resource. There's no greater wisdom. There's no greater empowerment available to mankind than God's Spirit residing and abiding in us, leading and guiding our lives as we turn our hearts toward Him, as He rewards us seeking Him. I, I take that too much for granted. And I'm so grateful for the day of my salvation that I had, I had to struggle I was rowdy, I was sinful, I was willful, I was, I believe, pseudo-intellectual. I had, you know, intellectual objections to God, but they were actually like, no, you know, is God so big that he can create a rock that he can't pick it up, and if he can't pick it up, he's not God? That sounded like, oh, so profound to me. But you know what, if somebody cornered me and said, well, if I prove that God 
Israel, Jesus is the Son of God, will you submit your life to him? It's like, no! I want to do the things I want to do. That was the battle of my heart. And when I moved up here from Los Angeles, I went to a spirit-filled church that was rowdy. This was a Pentecostal tambourine-banging, get-up-and-dance, Brother Holtzy squeezing you so hard that you're not sure if you're going to be able to breathe kind of church. And I went there for a year. And I knew there was a moment of decision that was heading my way. And I was hungry for God. I wanted to believe there was a God, but I didn't want to fake it. I wanted to be a real Christian or not a Christian at all. I didn't want to be a maybe or a wannabe. I wanted to be the genuine. I didn't know what that looked like or what that even meant. And I'm telling you, my conflict was so bad that during preaching, Pastor Staten would be speaking and I would sometimes form beads of sweat on my forehead of conviction, of desire for God. It was so bad. How, how many of you are sensitive people and you can feel if someone's stressed out around you, if, if somebody walks in the room and they're already full of anxiety and all of a sudden, oh, there's anxiety everywhere. I was one of those. People would move away from me. The conflict was so intense. And, and, then, and so half of me, every service was like running to the altar to give my life to the Lord. And the other half of me was running for the door. I don't know, what, how, what, what makes somebody sit in torment like that for almost a year? Isn't that, that's odd, I know. And, uh, and I remember uh, Brother Mole, who was a regional director for that denomination, was visiting one day. And uh, as they do in Pentecostal churches, they did this great message. I had all this conviction. I was hungry for God, but didn't really know, you know what my next step was. And so they gave an altar call. And in that church, when they gave an altar call, everybody came down. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I would have been the only heathen sitting back in the pews if I didn't go forward. So like a good little fish, I just went wandering up with everybody else. And, and it was God's mercy to me. Brother Maul saw me and must have just known I was miserable. So he like, hey, you, you know, um, are you a, a believer? And I go, well, I don't know. I believe some things and I don't believe others. And he goes, well, have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer? I go, no, I don't think so. I think I'd remember that. And his gospel presentation to me was, do you wanna? I felt trapped. What am I going to say, no? You know, all right. So he let me mouth the words of a sinner's prayer right there. And, uh, and I did. And I will never forget I had such a bad attitude. They forced me to get saved. They conned me into this thing. I left the altar. I grabbed my stuff. And like, I just don't think that's right that they made me get saved. And I go walking out the door. Isn't that a beautiful salvation story? <laughs> but the weirdest thing, I'm seriously, from that time, three things shifted that have never changed. I knew that God was real. And when I prayed to him, it wasn't a letter to Santa at the North Pole. He was listening. He would be responding as I communicated with him. I knew he had breathed on his word, that he could reveal himself to me through this word. And I knew I loved brothers and sisters with a love that was different 
then even for my family or for, for others, there's a connection when there are people of faith living together, growing together, worshiping together. It changed that day. And those are genuine signs of real saving faith. And so even this morning, there's a few of us here, to my knowledge, you're all saved. There are many people online, some of them I don't even know. And before we move any further, what it means to submit yourself to God, you've got to first believe he exists and that he's good. And so I just want, like Brother Mole did for me those many years ago, if you have been coming to church, but if you don't know that you're going to heaven, if you died today and you're really not sure, you need an assurance of your salvation. And if you don't know that you have his spirit residing in you, you don't have the power to overcome the circumstances in life that are bigger than you. So can we all just honor this moment for a minute? I don't want anybody who's listening to miss out on that mysterious gift and treasure that by faith in Jesus Christ, God sends to abide and reside right inside of us. So if that's you, just repeat after me. Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you you were there the day of my birth. You celebrated me coming into this world with joy. You have a purpose for my life. And Father, you were unwilling to be separated from me. So you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for everything that would separate us as a son and a father. Jesus, thank you for your obedience. And I put my trust now. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. That now I'm being raised from my dead ways of sin into newness of life by trust and faith in a good God. I now call on your name, Jesus. And I thank you that you are sending your Holy Spirit right now to reside in me for the rest of my life, to take up residence and to begin to help deal with the personal issues in my life and help me be a person who changes the social issues that surround me as well. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oh. By the way, that was Romans 10.9. If you have an opportunity to share your testimony, your love for Jesus, and anybody feels provoked, they feel his presence, they feel peace in their heart, you can let them know. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And now, what really strikes me is if you are a believer, and hopefully everybody listening now is, you have rivers of living water in you, his life in you. If you are still living out of your own soulish power, your mind, your will, and your emotions, then honestly, the life that the Spirit wants to bring in you and through you is trapped. It's held prisoner by your own ways of thinking, by your own desires that are different than God's desires, by your own feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, or self-will and you don't want the Holy Spirit who's residing in you trapped you want him fully released and the only way 
I've been reading the release of the Spirit, by the way, so let me just acknowledge, watch Manise part in this. The walk of faith, the growth that we all have opportunity to experience is very profound. Um, you're created with a body, a soul, and a spirit. And I don't want to get into all of that right now, but when you have walked in saving faith, his spirit now communes, resides, abides. He's taken up habitation. He doesn't want to be a part-time parent, by the way. He doesn't want temporary custody. He wants full custody of our hearts as his children. Oh, he's not a weekend dad. <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> wow. So his spirit is right there, able to connect and commune with the spirit that God breathed in you the moment you were conceived, the same pneuma spirit he breathed in Adam, that's living inside of you and able to receive downloads and data and encouragement and confidence and revelation from his spirit. But if you have a great big fat sassy soul, if you're a very willful person who's highly intelligent, who's incredibly stubborn, whose focuses all of your desires on your own benefit. If your will is used to only get the things that you want, then the Spirit isn't going to be able to teach you the grace of serving others. And you're not going to understand that, wait, my ways aren't like his ways. My thoughts aren't like his thoughts. He wants now to see you broken in a good way. And how much do we resist brokenness? I don't want to admit there's a problem. I don't want to look bad. I am kind of over that. I've looked so bad so many times. It's like, okay, this is kind of a natural state of being. You know, I'm not Jesus. Shocker, you know. I, I remember a one point of brokenness. Um, Lori and I were in a major transition, a lot like this time, actually. It felt almost like this significant for us personally. And uh, we went to Toronto um, to a leaders conference just to you know, be in that environment again. And uh, I met a pastor there named Faustin, who was a wonderful man. And Faustin was driving me to the church one morning. And uh, we're in the car, and I go, you know, Faustin, we're in a really hard time, a, a very challenging, a different kind of time, a major time of transition. And to be honest, I don't know if I've ever felt so small and so weak in my life. And I said, and yet, I don't know if I've ever been in a time when God felt so big and so strong. And I had said that to other people, and they go, oh yeah, that's the way it works. You know, like, cause it's so hard to relate when it's, they're not in your skin. When it's your life, it all seems so heightened, doesn't it? It all just, wow. And, and I'll never forget, God bless him, Faustin heard what I said, and he goes, oh yeah, I understand. I go, and he goes, but it doesn't feel good in the flesh, does it? How many of you like to feel small and weak? Do you celebrate that? You go, woohoo! All right, I'm powerless. This is wonderful. <laughs> and yet, the sacrifices of God a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I, uh, my mind just went 400 directions. So, reel it in, focus, focus. But that's all about submitting to God, it's having that humility of heart toward him, acknowledging your need without shame or condemnation. Oh, if we could all just learn the difference between conviction of the Spirit and condemnation 
that comes from the devil that, oh, you, you know, you're, you're walking to your death. Because the enemy has one desire for your life, and that's to kill, steal, and destroy you. So anything that comes into alignment with that, it's like, that's from him. I'm sick of it. I'm tired. I live in the Northwest. Do you understand the overcast that we put up with here? Three, four, five months of never seeing the sun? No wonder there's a Starbucks on every corner. People have to medicate themselves. Give me some dang caffeine. Where'd the sun go? And as part of that, that's just an outward representation of an attitude that is unique and a stronghold to our area of condemnation. People feeling it's God's voice, God's spirit, telling them they're no good, they don't have what it takes, they're not going to be able to make it, everything's bad, and by the way, it's going to get worse. Anyone ever hear that voice? Anyone ever learn how to battle that voice? It starts by submitting yourself to God first and letting him speak the way he does. Yeah, you've got a problem. I have an answer. That is holding you back. I have something better. I have an upgrade for your foolishness. Wow, I'm such a great target. I'm a trophy for your grace, God. So many areas to get overhauled. And I embrace the process. Ho! Well, I went off on a tangent, but that's tough. So, brokenness is, I believe, the primary way that you begin to release and can increase releasing those living waters that John 7.38 talks about. And that's first coming under his will. But then we submit ourselves in a different way, and I'm not going to spend too much time. I've got to watch the clock. The second way that I think we submit ourselves to him is not just acknowledging his will, what, Lord, I want what you want, even if it's not what I want. Anyone, would you guys pray that with me? If, if you're willing. That's a dangerous prayer, but it's a wonderful prayer because it means you're trusting God when you don't know what he's going to do. You don't even know what the outcome is. So pray, pray with me. Lord, Lord, I want what you want even when it's not what I want. Amen. Watch out now. You got a bullseye on you. It's a, it's a good thing. Oh. <laughs> so we don't only just submit to his will, but you know what else? We submit ourselves to him personally. We submit to his presence. What happens when you submit documents? You go someplace where you're doing that transaction and an individual is there handling that. I'm going to submit now, not just my attitude, but I'm going to submit to the person, the presence of who God is. And so when it says submit yourself to the Lord, you know what it makes me think of? Lori and I were in a pretty horrendous battle last year. I don't want to get into the details of it. Uh, but in a time of prayer, time of journaling, uh, I, I really felt victimized. I felt powerless against this situation that I had caused, and that was an area of shame for me. And while I'm praying, the Lord uh, was trying to change the way I was thinking about it, because every time I thought about it, it just made me feel bad, right? And so again, it was part of the, the class in our school of ministry, Switch on Your Brain, and so Dr. Leaf was talking about, okay, you need to ask the Lord to give you a different way to think about it that doesn't keep tearing you down and become a dead end uh, in your mind, have it become life-giving in your mind. So here's what the Lord said to me. I was, talking, I was holding that area in my mind, and by the way, you don't run from your problems, you don't minimize your problems, you don't ignore your problems, and for sure, you don't blame shift your problems. You know, I mean, Adam, you know, in Genesis, it's that woman you gave me. I mean, 
We blame shifts so easily, but to not run from them, but to feel them, embrace them. What am I thinking right now? How is it making me feel? Let me sit with it, God. Let me not be so afraid that my problems are bigger than I am. Let me be present with it. So I was doing that. And then now, Lord, what do you want to say? And he said two things. He said, first, I'm going to be with you in this situation. Holy cow. I don't know why. You know he's never going to leave you or forsake you, right? You know he's residing right inside of you. But how many times do you feel alone and abandoned when you're in the middle of a crisis or problems? How many times do you think, if I don't handle it right, it's all going to go bad, it's all on me? That false sense of responsibility can be so overwhelming. But when he says, I'm going to be with you, and you believe it, as I walk through this, he's right here. I have the mind of Christ with me. I've got his wisdom. I've, I've got his empowerment even, his grace coming alongside of me. My goodness. And then he said the sweetest thing. And I think of it still regularly. First he said, I'm going to be with you in it. And he goes, and you can't fail if you just try. And that doesn't mean I, now every circumstance is going to go my way. It means I feel good about myself because I did what I felt the Lord prompting me to do. And that came out of submitting myself, not just to his will, because I wasn't sure what his will was. It came to submitting myself to his presence to be able to hear that guidance. So if you want to know what your next step is when you're in the battle, get into that place where you're alone with God. Get into that place where you've got peace in your heart and he can begin to speak to your circumstances. And by the way, if you have enough trust, enough belief that God, you're good, then here's a really good thing. God, even as I'm coming to you right now, I just want to say I want what you want, even if it's not what I want. And so, God, I'm going to submit. I'm going to obey. I, there are no conditions. If you tell me I've got to do something crazy, I'm going to go do something crazy if I know that it's you. Amen? Ho, ho. Yeah, this is good stuff. I love this message. I'm sorry you're all here and having to put up with it, but it's very amusing to me and very relevant. Oh, so let's move on to the resist part of this verse. You, we just barely touched on what it even means to submit yourself to God, how to learn to strengthen yourself in him, how to draw your direction from him. But there's a companion verse. Uh, for some reason I was reading, I'm reading systematically through Second um, Peter right now, but when I was in First Peter, uh, I love, you all know, I, I love the divine highlighter, right? Do you guys have a divine highlighter in your life? When you're hearing someone talk to you at the grocery store, if you're reading the Word of God, I don't know if you'll be able to see this on the camera, but do you see what's in my Bible here on this section? What, it, what is it? Highlighter. highlighter. It's yellow. So when I'm reading the Word, and for some reason something <laughs> jumps out at me, I honor that. <gasps> oh, Spirit, I think you're showing me this Word in particular in this verse. And guess what the Word was? When I was reading through this, it was resist. It's 1 Peter 5, 9. It says, resist him firm in your faith. Firm in your trust, in his goodness, in his presence, in submitting yourself to him. But I want to read it, the whole context of this passage. It's uh, 1 Peter 5, starting at 6. Tell me if it sounds familiar. Humble yourselves. 
Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Everybody goes through times of testing. Everybody goes through times. And they don't all come from God. Some are self-inflicted. And many come from the devil. But God uses them all. And so in terms of resisting him and standing firm in your faith, I want to consider that for a moment. So the battle is on. You've now strengthened yourself in God. You've heard from the Lord. You've even got a word from the Lord. What does it now mean to resist the devil? Like James is talking about and like Peter's talking about. It means I'm going to stand in faith. Almost what the Lord told me, that you're not going to leave me and I can't fail if I try. So Lord, I'm going to do what's right as best as I know how the thing that you're showing me to do, the thing I've learned from your word. So I would say this is probably the key part of this message. I have not fully appreciated the importance and the depth of what the Bible teaches us and challenges us to understand perseverance and endurance in life. Because if every time you did what God told you to do, immediately things changed, You'd never have to trust him. You'd never have to stand on his word in faith. You'd always have an emotional response. You would never have just the intellectual understanding that God is here. And God, I don't feel him, but he's here and he's powerful. And I'm going to wait on him and I'm going to trust him. And what did this verse say? In due time. Who's in charge of when the devil's going to flee? God is. And he knows just exactly what the right time is for your circumstance to shift and to change and for you to get the most out of it and for God to get the glory from it. It makes me think of the Jesus People movement back in the 70s. I came into faith later than that, but I think we have a couple of hippies here who got saved in the 70s. And you you too, yeah? I've known people who actually lived in communes, the whole thing. But it was incredible. And by the way, the church the comfortable evangelical church that was praying for a revival, when revival showed up, it was a bunch of smelly hippies who still had all their sinful patterns that made everybody uncomfortable in the pews. Like, what kind of revival is that? But it it changed our culture. It saved literally millions of lives. But there was a unique part to that experience because there was a radical move of God, very similar, I think, even to Toronto and renewal, there were manifestations of the Spirit. The Spirit of God was delivering people from addictions, you know, from all these different areas. They were having these beautiful, genuine experiences in God, and they came into faith when God was so big and so powerful and so present that you never knew what was going to happen, right? But then what happened? The Jesus People movement itself started to wane for whatever reason. I don't want to get into the history of it. I'm not even sure myself. Revivals start and then revivals end. 
And sometimes they last a short time, sometimes they last a longer time, and there are a lot of variables. But as that movement began to wane, what happened? Many of the people who came into faith during the exciting times of manifestation and the experiences they were having in God, they didn't have a perseverance and an endurance gear. They wanted the good feelings, they wanted the breakthroughs, they wanted, you know, that, that grace and empowerment that came with it, but they didn't know how to stand on this. And so as trials came along, as struggles came along, the sufferings that are normal to our brotherhood, wow, now I'm disappointed in God. It was so fun before, but now this doesn't feel so good. And they turned away from that relationship. That's the tragedy of just wanting the experiential times with God, the manifestations of the Spirit. There's that old saying, and I love this, and I've burned it into my own spirit because I believe it. If all you have is the Spirit, you're going to blow up. If all you want is an experience with the Holy Spirit and the, the things that he does in your life when he's present and, and you enjoy that emotionally, you enjoy that you know, in, in your circumstances, if, and then every thought that comes into my mind, oh, that's probably the Spirit. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. You don't, if all you have is the Spirit, you're going to blow up. The, the devil can speak to a blind spot in your life, an area that you're either uninformed or ill-informed or believing a lie, and you're going to think it's God. You're going to make this big old change, and the people around you can't speak into your life. And what? Anybody ever make a stupid decision that you thought was God? We need protection. We need to know when is it God? When isn't it God? I, you know, I, I, I want to obey what I sense God is saying, but I do reserve the right to confirm it's Him. <laughs> you know, as best I can. And so, uh, if all you have is the Spirit, you're going to blow up. If all you have is the Word, and you don't have the love of God in your heart, you don't know what it's like to encounter Him saying, I love you, son, I love you, daughter. If you don't have that other counterbalancing aspect of the experience of God in your life, but all you have is an intellectual understanding and you have a love of the Word of God, you're going to dry up. And I know people who study the principles and the doctrines and they try to live by them, but the funny thing is sometimes they're not doing it to honor God. They're trying because I want the best life I can have. And God will often honor many of those principles because it is his word. But anyone ever know someone who was just a rational, intellectual, I've got God in a box the theology kind of Christian? So if all you have is the spirit, you're going to blow up. If all you have is the word, you're going to dry up. If you have the word and the spirit, what's, what happens? You're going to grow up. You're going to be able to have the, the best of both, and you're going to have that perseverance gear where when you don't feel him, you don't even feel like it, you still, but Lord, I'm standing on your promises, I'm standing on your word, what you said to me is still as true, even when I don't hear you saying it, I'm going to hold on, and inside, your roots go down deep. You can weather the dry seasons. Your life becomes more stable. You're not blown around by every new idea and every new thing and every criticism and every accusation and every praise and, you know, all of those things are so external when you come to that deeper place of, of abiding in Him. So, the last part of our message as we're wrapping up, um, I just reflect a little bit about what it means in this verse when he says the enemy will flee. Um, I do want to highlight one more time. Does it say when? Are you in charge? You submitted to God. 
you're resisting the devil, but God is in charge of how long this storm, this season, this circumstance is going to last, and he knows exactly just what he's doing inside of you to deepen your faith, bring you into unity of agreement with his character and his word, and you're standing on it, but how many of you still have a little doubt? But he may not flee. It's not a guarantee he's going to flee. Is that what this verse is saying? No, it's saying he's going to. He, he, he doesn't have a choice. If you keep pressing in, you keep submitting to God, you keep resisting by not taking the bait and acting upon the thing he's saying to you, the compromise he wants you to make, the action he's trying to push you toward. As you go, no, until I've heard from God, I'm not budging. What is the primary position attitude of spiritual warfare when you read in the New Testament? Stand! You're not on offense. You're not, you don't have to go attack. You just have to know I can stand my ground. I'm going to stand until God says go. And the devil cannot blast me off of this spot because the Holy Spirit's right here with me. Jesus and I holding hands, resisting you. You can't take from me that which is mine unless I give it to you, starting with your authority and then everything else that would fall in alignment with you sacrificing your authority. So what the, what the fresh revelation for me in this message, what does it mean when he flees? When he flees, you become free. Because what's happening when you're in an uh, atmosphere of spiritual warfare, when you need to resist the devil, he's doing things. He's saying things. He's threatening you, right? So you're in this place that feels oppressed, that feels dark. Your thoughts are vulnerable to having thoughts that even aren't yours, that aren't God thoughts for sure. But when the breakthrough comes and the devil flees, now what happens? The Holy Spirit is able to bring clarity again, to speak to you, to revive your hope and your faith and your joy and your thankfulness and your worship and your peace. It makes me think of um, the verse of Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of heaven is what? It's not eating and drinking. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness. What is righteousness? Being able to do the right thing, to see the truth to see what's right. I mean, at the heartbeat of righteousness, you're doing the acts of God. You're walking in the ways of God. You're doing what's right. And so once he flees and the oppression breaks, now all of a sudden, the sun starts shining, and you go, hey, I know the right thing to do. I feel really good about it. You like that? Yeah. Well, that's what it's like for me. There are times I can, I can practically feel rays of sun, just like, wow, I'm glowy inside. But then there's also this peace. Has anyone ever had the experience where all of a sudden you know the right thing to do, you didn't expect it, and to be honest, if somebody told you you had to do it, you wouldn't want to, and, but you've got this weird sense of, huh, when I think about that, I have this sense of well-being. It's going to be okay, and I don't even know why. I'm not even sure how. And it confounds your mind. There's peace that surpasses understanding and it's free to come to you in that place when the devil has fled when there is no longer oppression around you but then what else come on a third of the kingdom is joy 
How much is there to be thankful for? How much rejoicing should there be? How much? And yes, there are times where it's Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm going to declare the joy of the Lord. I'm going to declare his goodness. I don't feel like it. I want to sit down and pout, and I'm having a big old temper tantrum inside. But soul, you're not in charge. The spirit is in charge, and I'm going to do the right thing until I feel the right thing. Ho! And watch joy break off the shackles. Watch joy. There's, I don't think there's any more effective weapon probably, even more than peace, than simple joy, a weapon against warfare. It's like Psalms 2. God sits in heaven and he laughs. He thinks it's ridiculous, the schemes and the plans of people who think they can pervert or change his purposes. It's almost like, oh, you know, you keep going. I, you bring some more reinforcements, because right now it's not even a fair fight, you know, and it never will be, but we'll have more fun, you know. If, if you just think you're getting away with something because it ain't happening. So, oh. So I'll just say, as I'm wrapping up, my conviction from this about the enemy fleeing. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage myself that it's not if he flees, it's a guarantee that he flees. And when he flees, you're free. You're free now to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth right where you stand. You now have taken new territory. You now are releasing righteousness, peace, and joy in that area of influence. And the kingdom of God is spreading further and further throughout the earth through his sons and daughters, through that warfare. But I do believe the primary experience and attitude of our hearts is not one to live under oppression but to live in that place of freedom where we're ushering in the kingdom and the more endurance the more perseverance that we continue to embrace the more authority we have to establish god's kingdom right now right here covid19 go in jesus name ho racism and social injustice go we're standing for righteousness for peace and joy in the holy ghost and we will resist anything that is evil contrary to the goodness of our father and we're going to do it in faith and the devil will have to flee before the empowered prayerful loving sons and daughters of god amen